Hey, Martha, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I am well, and thanks for sort of pulling together this emergency conversation, but but so much important is going on in Cuba as people are taking to the streets. I definitely wanted to get your perspective. You've uh, you've been living this um, from Miami for most of your life. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about why Cuba matters to you, because this is personal. This is absolutely personal. And it's not just Cuba, it's freedom in general, but Cuba specifically, my parents are Cuban, my entire family is Cuban, of course. And my father was a political prisoner in Cuba um, in the late 60s. He was taken as a political prisoner because he attempted to leave Cuba. And um, he spent about a year in jail. Uh, first six months were in regular jail. And then after that, he was sent to work at a prison camp, um, which is basically a Cuba's version of the gulag. And so um, my father left the country. My mom broke him out of jail. He uh, made it across to Guantanamo and was from there taken to the United States. And so um, I've grown up my entire life hearing about this and living in this different, you know, living here in the United States, seeing the difference. We can get on a plane and go anywhere around the world that we choose to. Cubans don't have that luxury. We then moved to Venezuela and uh, my father had businesses there and back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, it was a great country to live in. And I watched how, you know, Venezuela changed from a great country to one who that is now, all, you know, just as bad as Cuba. And so it's kind of reiterated in my, in, at least for me, consistently how bad socialism is. You know, it, it takes beautiful countries that are prosperous and turns them into what we see now happening in Cuba and Venezuela. And, you know, people say, oh, it wasn't done well enough. Um, how so? <laughs> you know, it's tried over and over and over again. And so this is just something that's very near and dear to my heart. It has affected my entire life. It's affected my ability. I didn't get to meet my grandparents on my mom's side. Um, my grandparents on my father's side came to this country with, you know, hoping to go back to one day be able to live back in their, in their country. Um, my grandparents died here wanting to go live their life back in Cuba as they had anticipated. And so every part of my life has been affected one way or another by socialism, by policies, by just this, you know, this environment that we live in here in Miami. Your story reminds me a little bit of, of Ayn Rand growing up during the Bolshevik Revolution. And, and she would probably argue that she was always inclined to be an individualist that loved liberty. Was it your experience or... Or did you have that libertarian instinct um, all, all along? I mean, how can you grow up with a father like mine who had to leave jail? And, and not only that, my mom broke him out of jail. My mom was a 21-year-old, you know, that, that risked everything to get my dad out of jail. So how can you grow up in that background and not believe that freedom is the ultimate be-all, end-all? Um, it's almost impossible not to. I think it was instilled in me at a very young age. And um, again, that's the filter that I apply in everything. I see, I look around and I see these issues, even issues we have here in the United States. And I'm like, well, you know, freedom would solve that problem. So it's, it's really hard for somebody like me to not just constantly be trying to see how we can, you know, make things better with a little bit more freedom or a lot more freedom in this case. So let's, let's talk about what's going on in Havana and, and across Cuba. Uh, there were massive protests on Sunday. 
um, we probably think they're still going on. You, you have family on the ground. I do, and I'm in constant communication with them now, um, even though it's a little difficult. So they're, they've cut all phone lines, they've cut internet, and they've cut power to the island. So getting communication is very difficult. Somebody somewhere put up a VPN, a satellite-based VPN, and that's what all Cubans are using to be able to communicate. I think, um, I don't know who's, who did it, who's responsible for it, but God bless them. That was an amazing feat, and that's why we're still able to communicate. Um, so the protest started on Sunday, but this is something that's been brewing for a long time. This isn't something that just, you know, happened. And um, there's there's one independent journalist in Cuba that I listen to quite a lot, uh, Yoani Sanchez, and she's on this uh, newspaper called 14 and a Half, 14 Medio. And, um, you know, one of the things that I have to say that that has driven this to happen is the internet, is that Cubans are finally able to see and a large part of that is Facebook. As much as I don't like Facebook, Facebook it plays a huge part in this. They've been able to communicate with each other. Um, in such a repressive reg regime, people haven't been able to talk to their neighbor and say, hey, how do you feel about the situation? And uh, starting December of 2018, they finally got cell phones. They got access to Facebook. They got the internet. And they've been sharing their experiences. And so it's kind of come to a head. And then we have COVID, we have uh, the monetary situation in Cuba. I don't know how familiar people uh, are with that, but they, the dollar is no longer accepted in Cuba. Now they need euros, which is a big problem for most Cubans. They have people from America sending money, but who has somebody in Europe that can send over euros um, as remittances? So that came to a head. Um, COVID has been a huge problem for Cuba. There's a lot of people who are very sick and there's nowhere to go. The hospitals don't have any resources. Um, people, are, You see fit, uh, footage of people just lying on the, the floor of hospitals. They don't have anything. And so that was another issue. And it's just been a nonstop of, of one issue after another. They don't have food. They don't have basic hygiene items. It came to a head. This is exactly what would happen if you just push people to the breaking point. They, they, they keep saying, one of the chants that I hear is, we're not scared. Uh, no tenemos miedo. And that means, you know, people have been scared of the regime for so long. And they're finally, they're like, you know what, we're so hungry that we don't care anymore. We're so tired of this. We don't, we just don't care. We want freedom. Um, and with freedom, you know, comes, there's going to be, unfortunately, a, um, I, it's, it, it's not going to be easy. Let's just say that, um, Right now, there aren't that many protests going on around Havana or anywhere in Cuba because the police is out in full force. There's a whole bunch of people that are missing um, in Cuba. We, you know, we say that they're missing, but we know that they're taken in, and you know, we we don't know what conditions they're in. There's people that are missing. There's people that are in jail. There's people that have been hurt, and there are a lot of deaths already. So it, the situation keeps changing, and um, I. I don't see any way for them to back down from this now. Uh, we They caught the regime off guard. Uh, the first day that they were out on the streets on Sunday, you saw very little of the Cuban um, regime coming in and, and, and actually stopping it. That changed on Monday. Uh, they did bring back the soldiers that were stationed in Venezuela back to Cuba, and um, they go out as plainclothes people. So this is a regime that it, they're they're looking to to start a problem. And the president Diaz Canel, he even said that they he was giving an order to attack. So 
um, you know, when you have the president of a country saying that that he's going to to have his military go against his own people, I think, you know, there's no other way to interpret this as the the country is now at war. Yeah, they're they're going. He's going to do whatever is necessary to cling to power, and that, of course, is what's happened in Venezuela. And and this this dynamic reminds me a lot of what happened to the student protesters in Hong Kong, and they were saying the same thing that they had nothing to lose. Uh, for different reasons, because they knew that they that the the Chinese government was going to destroy them if they didn't win that fight. And but this one seems different in a sense because because the Cuban government is is just broke. Like they don't they don't have any resources. They don't have that money flowing in from Venezuela. The USSR is long gone. So it strikes me that that there's more hope in this situation because it's been sixty two years. And there's only so much of other people's money that you can steal at some point. They do have an income source, though, and that income source is going strong, and that is the uh, trade with the drug trade, the drug trafficking. Uh, Cuba is the place where all drugs flow through to into the United States, pretty much. So um, they still have, you know, as long as we continue this war on drugs here in the United States against it, they will have and they will continue to have a large amount of money and uh, arms. That's I, I hadn't thought of that. I know about the devastation of the drug war in, in Honduras and across Latin America, but uh, Cuba is that, that trading hub? Cuba apparently is that trading hub. It's, um, you know, it, it's a thing that everybody talks about, but it's kind of hush-hush. It's been going on since uh, Fidel's um, bodyguard years ago was one of the first people to bring this up. You know, he himself had met with uh, the drug traffickers in Colombia. This is this was a path that we should know about, and um, it's kind of kept hush hush. And I don't understand why that is. I I mean, the United States could very easily fix the situation not only in Cuba but Venezuela and most of Latin America, um, not to mention here in the United States, just by ending this one terrible policy. But here we are. So uh, someone someone phone Marco Rubio and tell him. That for some reason I don't think he's good on the issue of about the war on drugs, but uh, uh, Republicans could help the Cuban people simply by ending the war on drugs. The Biden administration officially is in favor of of at least ending some of that war, although Biden and and Kamala Harris are both drug warriors. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting angle that I hadn't thought of, but but that would that would do tremendous help to the Cuban people right now. It would. And again, not just Cubans, uh, Venezuela. Venezuela, one of the, the ways they make money is, again, the, the drug trade. So um, Nicaragua, I mean, it's just, it's everywhere in Latin America that has been devastated by this policy would help. But then it would not fuel these regimes. You know, this is, we give them the power to continue. Um, besides that, you know, the United States continues to fund these regimes um, with, with Venezuela specifically. Uh, just this past week, I saw articles coming out from USAID saying that they have no idea where the money we've sent to Venezuela has actually gone. Um, less than 2% of the money the United States sends to Venezuela actually reaches the Venezuelan people. The money we send as foreign aid to help them. And it's actually going to you know, either the Maduro regime or the Guaido regime. They're both pretty much the same thing. And so, I mean, we just have horrible policies in this country, to be honest. I don't know what we're doing, but we're not helping. We are really causing problems. Yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, let's talk a little bit about this this argument you mentioned 
um, uh, Cubans, like we haven't heard from Bernie Sanders or AOC or any of the advocates that have always defended Castro's Cuba. Um, um, as far as I know, they've been silent in the last week or so. But but the common argument from socialists and democratic socialists about why Cuba and Venezuela and fill in the blank, why these socialist experiments fail is that in, in Cuba's case specifically, that's it's US uh, meddling specifically uh, the trade embargo. I, th I think it's a fascinating argument because the, the, the Venezuelan uh, socialist gurus made the opposite argument. They actually built a wall around Venezuela and prevented mothers from crossing into Colombia to to buy groceries because they argued that the, the, these capitalist goods were corrupting the experiment. Is is it the embargo? Like, why is Cuba such a basket case? I'm, I'm so glad you touched on this subject because this is the one that I get nonstop. It's like, well, if the United States would just stop the embargo, everything in Cuba would be great. And that is actually socialist propaganda coming from Cubans, from the Cuban island, not Cubans, uh, but from the, the communist regime because they are able to claim that and they blame the United States for absolutely everything that happens in Cuba. The embargo isn't what people assume when they hear that there's an embargo. Yes, there is an embargo against Cuban, um, certain Cuban companies and certain Cuban um, institutions. It is not a, an embargo against the island of Cuba. As a matter of fact, the United States trades with Cuba. What we can't do is extend credit to Cuba, which is a great thing because I definitely don't want my tax dollars going to forgive that debt at the end of the day because that's basically what would happen anyways. Um, yeah, there, the embargo is not the thing that people think it is. Um, it prevents Cuba from getting certain goods like weapons, but it doesn't prevent Cuba from getting uh, medicine. As a matter of fact, Cuba was just recently given by the international community offered COVID vaccines and they turned them down. And then they're blaming the outbreak of COVID on the United States. It's funny how that happens. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, we're stuck in this condition because the United States. Meanwhile, the international community has offered them these vaccines and aid is offered constantly. And it, which is kind of the problem that I have with people asking me, how can we help Cuba? Well, if you send things to Cuba, it doesn't go to the Cuban people. It goes to the Cuban regime. There's many, many examples of how the Cuban regime will take foreign aid and sell it in their dollar, before dollar stores, now euro stores. So if you send things to Cuba, you're really giving it to the Cuban government to then sell back to their people for their own profit. So, um, you know, it's a very convoluted issue, but the embargo is not the reason Cuba is suffering through this. Cuba is suffering through this because you know, um, the mismanagement, complete mismanagement of all of their goods and resources. And on top of that, of course, the Cuban people can't do anything on their own. They can't um, have a business. They can't even grow things. It's They're not allowed to grow. Like here in the United States, we have our little gardens and we're able to you know, grow our own, maybe some tomatoes, a few things. They aren't able to do that. That's a crime in Cuba. So um, yeah, it has nothing to do with the United States. And it's it's almost like their propaganda is working so well. Yeah, so so like it again. It reminds me of uh, what uh, Hugo Chavez did to uh, Venezuela by nationalizing farmlands. Uh, both Venezuela and Cuba should be breadbaskets. They they are they they are perfect places to produce lots of food. And I believe that Cuba imports about two thirds. I think is what I just read, but don't quote me on that. 
Um, and it all goes back to, to, to my arch nemesis right here on my shirt here, uh, Che Guevara, who was Castro's economic czar, and he actually was a real Marxist. And he tried uh, mightily to impose these Marxist principles on production and created a 60 years of, of, of suffering. Um, it's about as real of an experiment in socialism as you can find. It just turns out that it doesn't work. Funny how that works. It doesn't. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, and then they have these ridiculous policies that you have an island. Cuba is an island. What more than being able to go out and fish? You know, they're so scared of people leaving this experiment that you're not allowed to even go out on the water. You're not even allowed to fish from the shore. So, um, yeah, this experiment has failed in every way, shape and form. And that's the that's the beauty of what's going on in Venezuela and, and, and Cuba that people are like, well, socialism hasn't tri been tried the right way. Well, what more than these two perfect examples of socialism being tried by, and I mean, there's, I, I have to say, I detest Castro with every fiber of my being, but he is one, was one of the most intelligent uh, people to, I think to ever walk this earth. Talk about somebody who not only managed to create a system of 62 years that we're going now in Cuba, but he's managed to spread that to all of Latin America, pretty much. Latin America right now is in the throes of wanting socialism, wanting this system. Um, we see it playing out, you know, in, in Chile and Argentina. We see it playing out, obviously, in Nicaragua. He had a big hand in that. We see it in Venezuela. We see it in Colombia. It is spreading like wildfire, and that can all be traced back to Fidel Castro. So people in America that are like, well, it wasn't done the right way or whatever. What makes you think that we have somebody that is even more intelligent, more capable than Fidel Castro himself, that is going to somehow implement the system. I mean, the just the the arrogance of that of that attitude of being like, well, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that, and you know the, the the pattern is is always the same, and then they 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 always uh, socialists, uh, true socialists, always want to separate the the noble Marxist experiment, um, as happened in Cuba, um, and and other places as well with the devolution into authoritarianism and violence. And, and it, it turns out that, that one naturally leads to the other because it's very difficult to get people to do things that they don't want to do unless you force them to at a point of a gun. Yeah. And that's the, the be-all, end-all of these regimes. You don't have a gun. Only the regime has a gun. So when you're saying no more, which is what the Cuban people are saying now, they're saying we've, we've had it. There's no way out. There's plenty of videos going around the, the internet of Cubans breaking up the sidewalk so that they can use the sidewalk pieces to, to you know, hit at the government. But then at, the government has guns. They've started shooting at people. Um, yesterday, starting yesterday, we have reports of plenty of people being shot on the streets in Cuba. So there's no way out of socialism other than a war and fighting your way out of it. So it's a little scary when, again, coming back to the United States, we see people saying that we shouldn't have certain guns or we don't need certain guns. Um, I take big offense to that. I, we should have everything the United States government has. If they can have it, we should have it. And this is the proper example of why. I, I would assume that uh, the Cuban government has very strict gun control laws uh, to keep people safe. Is that true? That is true. There's uh, nobody is able to own a gun in Cuba. People gave it, gave them 
uh, back to the government in the 60s, and there's no gun stores, there's no gun trade. So the only people who have guns in Cuba, of course, are the same people that would have guns if we removed guns from law-abiding citizens here in the United States. It's the government, and it's going to be people who those laws don't apply to anyways, um, yeah. you know, smugglers or, or other people that are able to acquire them. So one of, one of the things that I've always worked on when I talk about Cuba and socialism is is one of the bizarre things. It's not that bizarre when you understand it, but one of the weird things that Castro did very early on was ban the Beatles and specifically Western style rock and roll. And at first blush, that seems sort of weird. But when you dig into socialist regimes, you very quickly learn that one of the very first things they do is they go after artists and music and and poetry and poets and actors. Um, why do they do that? Oh, that has a great, um, they have to do that. They also go against uh, independent journalists. They go against anybody that can open your mind to these other ideas. So that, which is the crazy thing to me is that they allowed cell phones onto the island because they, they were trying to block all of these things. They blocked religion as well. For a very long time in Cuba, you weren't able to have religion. Art is, is something that you're not able to have. You're not able to be an independent journalist. So then they allow these cell phones and that's showing that that is the catalyst. That is why they've tried to block these, these things. Because once you're able to open your mind and think about these you know alternatives, well, look at what happens and the country goes um, against you. There's, there's an actual, uh, artist Hamlet La, La, La Bastida that was uh, had an exposition in Europe somewhere and he came back to Cuba and after they had him in quarantine for a few days, they took him and he's been um, arrested and whatnot. So his crime was going to open an art gallery or be part of an exposition in, in Europe. And that's something that the regime just will not tolerate. Um, yeah. it, they also had these protests. This all started again way before uh, Sunday with the protests of, of artists that were stationed inside the, uh, the Ministry of Interior of, of Cuba. They are the ones that were fighting for this because they are being blocked from pursuing their art. Um, they're the ones that are being blocked from doing all these things. And um, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch, at least from this side. It's very sad to be on that side where even things like art are prohibited from your daily life. So you, it's almost like they don't want you to have any ounce of, of happiness. Yeah, well, they're, they're afraid because happiness and liberty go together. And if you get a taste of that, you're not gonna give it up. Um, which leads me, I, I wanna like, what's what's happened in Cuba for the last 62 years has been a human tragedy and, and you've lived that personally. But I wanna see if we can't get to some optimism here because I brought up music and you brought up the internet for um, reasons like there it is becoming and I've always been sort of a romantic about technology and social media um, and this was this was before a lot of the the current censorship but I'm, I'm still optimistic that that the upsides outweigh all of the downsides and one of the things that's happened going back to the Ron Paul movement, and I was part of the Tea Party movement and the Arab Spring and on and on and on, is the way that social media has empowered citizens to fight against authoritarian governments. And that's absolutely something that, that has happened in Cuba. Um, the government relented, I guess, just a few years ago 
um, by allowing internet service. And, and then in response to last Sunday, they shut it off again, right? They shut everything down, including phone lines. Regular phone lines have been shut as well. So they really do not want information to get out of the island, which is one of the things that um, I've been calling people to please pay attention to Cuba in any way you can. Make sure that that uh, you know we retweet, we show, we share, because that's the only thing that we can do really realistically at this moment. Um, either that or just show up in Cuba, which obviously as libertarians, I would not want the government to do. And as citizens, we can't do. There's actually a proclamation that uh, Bill Clinton signed in 1996, the Proclamation 6867, which uh, it makes it a crime for U.S. citizens to go into Cuban waters. So um, even if we decided to take matters into our own hands and head to the island and help in whatever ways we chose to, it's a crime. We cannot do it. We can imagine that we can leave this country and head to Cuba and fight a whole war, a revolution, or whatever you want to call it. And then when we come back to the United States, we'd be arrested. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, like, and, and, People probably don't get this strategy, but the power of this story is the best thing we can do to help the Cuban people, which is exactly why we're doing this this very quickly put together show so that people are paying attention to what's going on. They're sharing those stories, those videos. Every American needs to know what's going on here, um, in part to help the Cuban people who are putting their lives at risk, but but in part to make sure that that, that we don't follow that same dumb path but you know the the it's it's important you you said this and it's important to reiterate um the american government and american foreign policy helped create castro in the first place so i i don't think that the u.s foreign policy has done all that much that has been helpful to liberty and people in latin america and that that is not the answer here right right um i mean sure i'm i'm sure a lot of cubans would welcome the help of the united states but like I said, one of the quickest, easiest ways to dismantle this would just be removing our own policies on um, the drug trade. And then, of course, removing that prohibition, that proclamation, not allowing us to go to Cuba. Those two simple things, which really requires no money, no effort on our end, would pretty much fix or not fix, but allow the situation to fix itself. Um, if we don't want to intervene in Cuba, then we should really stop intervening in Cuba. Yeah. Yes, and and you mentioned uh, uh, VPNs. Um, I'm not a techie, but as I understand it, VPNs are very difficult for governments to shut down. And so it's, again, the genie's out of the bottle here, and people have a taste of freedom. They have access to, to phones and the internet, whether or not the Cuban government likes it. And, and that's the power. There's power in numbers and knowledge and, and organizing spontaneously. Absolutely, especially right now, the Cubans are using that VPN to be able to communicate amongst themselves so that they can coordinate. Um, most of the protests have died down, and the reason being, they're all letting each other know that there's police presence, military presence on pretty much every corner. Um, again, going back to Joanny Sanchez, the, uh, the the reporter out of Havana, she claims that she has her own personal detail in front of the house waiting for her to exit, so she can't leave her house or she will be arrested or worse. Um, you know, with these regimes, there's always that option of worse. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people have stayed home and fearful, but it's helping them to be able to coordinate and figure out where they're going to go. And uh, in this case, the VPN that they have is a satellite-based one. And so there's really no way for the Cuban government, as far as I know, to shut this down. 
So again, I don't know who's responsible for it, but whoever it is, um, that was a great job because they've been sharing the, the ability to connect uh, that went around through our social media here in the United States to them so that they all knew where to go and how to get um, online. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to see people coming together in this way and outsmarting uh, a government. So one of the one of the dynamics, uh, and and may, you you certainly know more than I do, but there's this uh, collaboration between Miami and uh, Cuban hip hop artists. They made a song called Patria y Vida, which is a um, takeoff on the old communist uh, um, slogan. Padre Muerte, yes, Thank which you. was uh, which was basically the the it's the translation of that. Patria is um, your your country. So before it was uh, patria o muerte, either either our country or death. That was Fidel Castro's, you know, battle cry. And and these artists, um, gente de zona, uh, they created the song called Padre Vida, our country and life. You don't have to choose death. We can have our country and we can have a life. And I think um, when that song came out, the most amazing thing as a Cuban that's been paying attention for many years to the island was how um, before. I guess maybe the brainwashing or the propaganda meant that people wouldn't um, would, wouldn't even dare to say, I don't agree with the system. And that song came out and it was spread throughout the island and it just showed the contrast of where we were and where we are. And I think a lot of people recognized that they are done, you know? And again, it was that communication between people, they don't have it. If you, if you talk to Cubans on the island, they're like, no, no, everything's great. They aren't able to have this conversation. And that song and things before it, um, you know, and the artists coming together, it's all kind of just reached a boiling point. And people are like, well, if we're all upset, there's more of us than there are of, of the government, of these people. So we've got to do something. And, and it's, again, I'm just so excited to see what's going to happen. I'm also scared. Um, I have a lot of family and friends in Cuba. And um, it's, they're, it seems that they want to turn it into a bloodbath. And that is my fear. And that's why I'm going out there and trying to spread the word that please pay attention to Cuba. Please pay attention to what's going on there. Um, because the Cuban government won't do it in our faces. They are scared to, to you know, get that, that, to have the international community come and descend upon them. So they don't want people to see the human rights violations, even though they're occurring, they don't really want people to see it. There was a memorandum put out by the Ministry of Interior um, I guess amongst themselves, but it got leaked where they were talking about how they were going to operate in the uh, darkness so that the videos wouldn't come out and wouldn't be showing it because they had been doing stuff during the day and those are the videos that we're sharing. So um, they are definitely scared of being called out and being uh, shown for what they are. Yeah, transparency is the only hope. And, and I'm thinking of, uh, I'll butcher his name, but one of those hip hop artists, uh, Yo Tool Romero, how did I do? Okay, not I didn't do that well. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> he said, um, he said uh, a speech wouldn't have done this, but a song really connected with people. And I think uh, you know, we, you and I both spent a lot of time, um, sort of upstream of politics, um, engaged in in culture because this is this is where the battle is fought. So I. I want to believe that these things we're talking about, culture and technology, and the way that that those VPNs are allowing the people to coordinate in Cuba, that that there is hope 
in a way that there would not have been 20, 30, 40 years ago, where the government would just crush dissent and, and kill their adversaries. Um, so that the strategy, as you've said again and again and again, everybody needs to know what's going on. Everybody needs to share it. And everybody needs to support uh, the people in Cuba that are putting their necks on the line to get just a taste of the freedom we have in this country. Absolutely. And that is what we can do for them. So it, it brings up a, a memory of um, back in, I believe, 1996 or so, um, there was a Cuban vessel called 13 of March, Teresa de Mayo, that uh, people from Cuba, from Havana, had taken. It belongs to the government. You know, you're not allowed to own a, a vessel in Cuba. And they had taken it out into the waters and they were trying to escape. And the Cuban government sank the boat killed almost everybody on board. And then when there was a few survivors, they started going around and around to create a vortex in the water so people would drown. The only reason they stopped doing that was because a Greek ship was coming into port and they didn't want to have that international uh, community awareness on them. So this is a perfect example of why it wasn't going to work then. Most of us haven't heard of El Trece de Marzo, that, that vessel. Um, if you weren't inside the Miami diaspora of, of, of Cubans, you probably don't even know that that had happened, this tragedy that killed um, over 50 children. So it's a perfect example of how our eyes on Cuba is what is going to keep them alive. Hopefully, it is my, it is my, my, my belief that we can do this. We can show the world what's going on in Cuba and that these people just want their freedom. So you mentioned the diaspora of, of Cubans in Miami, and, and you and I and Terry and, and a bunch of folks have been collaborating on a, on a documentary project we want to produce about the people and the values that have fled socialism and the war on drugs and all of these horrible things that are happening in Latin America to come to Miami to, to live their version of freedom. And I can't help but observe, and this, this will upset some Americans, but maybe they should think about it. I can't help but observe that it strikes me that a lot of the people in the streets of Cuba are more American than some Americans are in the sense that they, they understand what they're fighting for and they think it's worth something. Absolutely. And I think um, I couldn't put it any better than when Ronald Reagan said that, you know, that's that's the what we built America on was these values of coming to this country for that freedom that we don't have elsewhere. But I think at at some point we we just get complacent. You know, we have all these freedoms, so we don't remember where we came from and why we're here. If you're third, fourth generation American, you might have forgotten those lessons. And that's the the beauty of immigrants is we come into this country remembering the, that history and saying. Um, this is, I mean, I love this country and I say this often and I know people tell me, oh, well, there's all these problems with it. Yeah, there is. But this country gave me and millions of people the opportunity to live a, a life that is dignified. I, um, I have a cousin who's only a few years younger than me in Cuba and I compare my life to hers. And, um, you know, she can't have a job because she's not part of the government. She doesn't have the money to feed her own child. Um, there's many days that they go hungry. And I have had the opportunity to be able to not only speak to people and, and live a life and build a business and own my own home, and my children have never known a day of hunger. And I think that's something that we forget in this country, even though we all have struggles here. Um, shoot, I've spent the last four days without any water in my house. So even though we have struggles, things aren't perfect. 
um, you know, it's it's a lot harder to forget and to talk about America being this evil thing when you have this comparison, when you're looking at, you know, somebody who's my flesh and blood and I should have lived her life with her there in Cuba, you know, I, that could be me. And so I have a very clear comparison of um, what could have been versus what is. Okay, let's leave it there. That's a good closer. Tell us how we connect with Martha Bueno so that we can stay up to speed on what's going on in Cuba and all this other cool Liberty stuff that you do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think the easiest way is either Twitter. I'm on as Martha Bueno 18, Facebook, even though I, I have a now love hate relationship with Facebook. Uh, I am on as Facebook slash Bueno for Miami and uh, Instagram as Bueno for Miami. Okay, thank you, Martha. We will get this going as soon as possible. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you guys for doing this and for um, helping me spread the message of Cuba. Um, you know, it's, it is uh, overwhelming and I'm so grateful that you guys are, are shining a spotlight on this. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. That was amazing. Where can I get more content just like that? It's a great question. You're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, and click the bell. And if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in. Kibbe on Liberty, honest conversations with interesting people.